Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories we are covering today. Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Some Sudanese political parties expressed doubt over the country's readiness for elections this year. The time now remains will not allow us to conduct uh, these prerequisites on time such as the permanent constitution that needs longer time. And conflict in Sudan continues to separate families who are trying to cross into South Sudan. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Some South Sudanese political parties say the transitional government of national unity has done very little to prepare the country for free and fair elections in December. Paul Bolang, information director for the former rebels of the Sudan People's Liberation Movement in opposition, says very little has been achieved on the required benchmarks for holding elections in the country. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. The Sudan People's Liberation Movement faction, loyal to President Salfakir, has repeatedly declared its readiness for elections at the end of this year. However, Pok Botbalwang, the information director of the Sudan's People's Liberation Movement, in opposition, says there is still no draft for a permanent constitution and security arrangement is still are not completed. The time now remains will not allow us to conduct uh, these prerequisites on time such as the permanent constitution that needs longer time. Uh, however, that will lead us to the parties to sit down and discuss the way forward. But meanwhile, we need to implement this activity that doesn't need uh, resources and so on and so forth. We believe the time frame that remains now will not be adequate to conduct a free, peaceful unfair and transparent election. Kual Atimbol, an official with the SPLM faction loyal to President Kir, says his party is working hard to ensure election takes place in December. SPLM cannot detain the funding of National Commission. The, the funding ca- cannot come, ca- cannot be found over a night. You know, the issue of funding cannot be discussed. It goes through processes it go to the council of ministers, from council of ministers to the parliament, and parliament now approve it. Parliament was two months in a recess. How can you approve while you are in the holiday? Atim says once parliament resumes, the budget for the National Elections Commission will be approved. Peter Mayan Majungdit, the leader of the People's Liberal Party and head of the opposition coalition, known as other political parties, says there are several delays in the implementation of the peace agreement. He says the transitional government of national unity can still prepare the country for election in December 2024. The government apparently should do all it can in order to support the election commission. Yes, the election commission has been appointed, even though they were appointed against their own parties, but we still stick to the law that the commission must be independent uh, and capable to be able to handle the election. We're still awaiting to hear from the election commissions the timetables 
that will be the guidelines. But the leader of the National Democratic Movement, Lama Kola Jawin, says the parties to the 2018 peace agreement should prove they are serious about implementing the peace agreement. It is up to the parties to dispel this belief. It is a strong belief. I know that many sectors of the South Sudanese community, judging from the past, they, they have concluded that the parties to the agreement, they just want to continue in power. But it is up to these parties now to disprove this, let them prove that they are not interested in power by going for elections. Our concern is that we as political parties need to sit and agree by consensus on how do we approach the election. In August 2022, the signatories of the September 2018 peace extended the transitional period for 24 months, saying the extension could allow the implementation of critical outstanding benchmarks of the agreement. Michael J. Idler, U.S. Ambassador to South Sudan, says early this month that holding free, fair and peaceful elections in December could demonstrate the transitional government's pledge to the values of peace, democracy and human rights. For VOA News, I'm a young David Mayor in Juba. Still on South Sudan affairs, some South Sudanese women say their husbands have been prevented from crossing into South Sudan. The Richtonese say many families have been separated by conflict in Sudan. Mamer Abram Kod will bring you that report later in this broadcast. The European Council has imposed sanctions on entities accused of exacerbating the conflict in Sudan. The list the listed entities include two companies involved in the production of weapons and vehicles for Sudan Armed Forces, or SAF, along with Zedna International Company for Investment Limited, controlled by the Army. Additionally, three companies procuring military equipment for the Rapid Support Forces have been targeted with sanctions. These entities now face asset freezes and the provision of funds or economic resources to them directly or indirectly is prohibited. The move by the Council mirrors actions taken by the United States in June which imposed the first sanctions related to the Sudan conflict by targeting two firms associated with SAF and RSF. The UK subsequently followed suit, implementing similar measures against the businesses linked to the Sudanese military groups. Despite international efforts to establish a lasting ceasefire, the conflict in Sudan has persisted since April. It initially erupted over an internationally supported plan to integrate the RSF into the army and initiate a transition towards elections. According to the United Nations, the ongoing conflict in Sudan has resulted in over 12,000 casualties and displaced more than 7 million people. Today in Ivory Coast, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken pledged additional U.S. financing to help fight conflict and bring stability to coastal West Africa, where insecurity linked to the Islamist extremist has increased in recent years. He spoke today after meeting with, Nigeria, with President Alassane Ouattara. Appreciate uh, particularly the leadership shown by Cote d'Ivoire in countering extremism uh, and violence. Um, we're announcing $45 billion in new funding uh, through the U.S. strategy to prevent conflict and promote stability. 
for coastal West African states with this new investment. The United States will have invested nearly $300 million just over the past two years in stability-focused assistance in coastal West Africa. Um, and we're also working to bolster uh, Cote d'Ivoire's security capacity. There's been an uh, increase in training uh, multiplied 15 times, uh, training equipment for the military just over the, uh, the last year. We're expanding civilian forces' uh, uh, investment as well. Blinken is on the second stop of his tour to Africa. He arrived in Ivory Coast's financial capital, Abidjan, on Monday evening. Today, he said President Joe Biden's administration is committed to building ties with African government. I'm here, as you know, as part of a four-country tour that took us uh, to Cabo Verde uh, yesterday here in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, and then on to Nigeria and to uh, Angola. And we're, we're here for a very simple reason, uh, because America and Africa's futures, their peoples, their prosperity are linked, uh, linked and joined as never before. The top U.S. diplomat, a longtime soccer fan, also said he saw a bright football future for Ivory Coast, despite seeing the host of the African Cup of Nations suffer a crushing defeat. Blinken watched a critical match Monday night in Abidjan between the hosts and Equatorial Guinea, joining Ivory Coast politicians in a VIP box. But Ivory Coast went on to lose 4-0, to zero, leaving the team facing a group stage exit from the competition. Meeting today with President Ottara, Blinken nevertheless was full of praise for the elephants, saying he saw a young team with enormous talent. Construction companies in Zambia say Chinese companies are moving into their area and taking away their businesses. They say the competition has forced some local construction companies to close. VOA's Daniel Tonga reports from Capital Lusaka. For more than two decades, China has been investing and operating in Zambia, but some business owners say they can't compete with Chinese companies that are outbidding them for construction contracts. One such contractor is Lawrence Musaka. Even the small, small contracts that we pray for to get, they are all being taken away by the Chinese. So it's kind of a challenge. It's kind of a hard comp- comp- competing with Chinese. Some contractors like Muchinga Mandia say Chinese Belt and Road Initiative, which funds infrastructure projects in many developing countries, typically bring in Chinese workers, leading to unemployment for Zambians. You know, when you when you're into business, construction business, if you stay if you stay uh, for for a year without a job, it's not only you the owner of the company is going to suffer. You've got other people who work for you. You know what I mean? How are you going to pay those people if you're not given a job? The Ministry of Commerce in Zambia says 69% of capital construction projects like roads are going to Chinese firms. And according to the Chinese state-run news outlet, Tsinghua, those projects have created jobs for locals. But Edgar Siakachoma, the president of Zambia's National Association of Medium and Small-Scale Contractors, says the arrival of Chinese companies has led to the collapse of big Zambian construction firms. Uh, Zambian companies have been wiped out by 
these uh, Chinese companies because they are they are backed uh, by by their their governments in the first place, and two they have uh, significant sources of um, local uh, means uh, cheap capital, so they can access uh, money and equipment at uh, concessional rates, while the Zambian uh, companies are unable to, to, to access such facilities. The Chinese embassy in Lusaka and Chinese-led business entities in Zambia did not respond to VOA's request for comment. Those in the construction sector, like Inok Chitawu, say the Zambian government should empower local contractors with financing and preferentially award contracts to local businesses who qualify as a way to compete with Chinese contractors. The government uh, should uh, make sure that contracts are awarded to all the local contractors who are qualified. Yeah, there, there shouldn't be any segregation or any corruption in the awarding of these contracts. Jafet Chiesu, another contractor, agrees. Uh, one way government can help us in terms of um, fighting the competition is uh, through um, these programs that have come, yes, like the empowerment programs. There is the Citizens Economic Empowerment Commission and also we have also CDF. So if we are given... Uh, uh, like those funds will be able to fight the competition. For now, Zambian construction companies are left to compete with the Chinese counterparts, mostly with their own resources, and are having a tough time winning contracts to stay in business. Daniel Tonga, VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. From Lusaka, Zambia, we move back to South Sudan, where some South Sudanese women say their husbands have been prevented from crossing into South Sudan when they were fleeing the conflict in Sudan. The returnees say many families have been separated by the conflict in Sudan. Mamer Abraham Court spoke to some of the women in Malakal and has this report. 35-year-old Adwar Malong is a mother of three children. She says her husband was detained and his phone was confiscated by men in uniform during their journey from Khartoum to Medeni. She says she's worried about her husband. In June, we went to Madani to cultivate and my husband was caught. His phone and clothes were taken away from him. In October, he said he should go to Dalani for fear of being killed. He asked me to go home to take our luggage. Delaney was also attacked, and I do not know where he is up to now. She says a man was removed from their vehicle and killed in their presence. Up to now, I still recall this experience and feel bad about it. You cannot cry when you see your husband being beaten or killed because they will also kill you. Aid organizations say... Tens of thousands of South Sudanese living in Sudan have returned home since Sudan's army and arrival paramilitary group began a brutal conflict last April. Martha Nyalwal, a widow and a mother of seven children, says she nearly lost her life at the hands of warring forces in Sudan. 
She alleges men in uniform killed two women who refused to give the money. I was beaten while I was pregnant. They found us at a place where we prepared wine. They asked us to give them money. Some two women among us refused to give them money and they were shot dead in front of us. I and a certain lady gave the forces some money. They beat us and I got a chance to escape. 35-year-old Atenga Joe says her property was burned and a lady helped her with some clothes to cover her baby. She says she has not talked to her husband since October and is worried about his safety. They beat men. You can even be tortured in the presence of your husband, and he cannot do anything because he does not have any power to protect you. If your husband is not there, you can try your best to escape, but you will still be worried about the welfare of your husband, especially how he will escape. Now I'm worried about my husband. 27-year-old Victor Mayen Majok says he was caught on his way to South Sudan by some soldiers from the warring forces in Sudan. He says he was caught and blindfolded, but a man who knew him saved his life. We were removed from the vehicle and blindfolded. There was a man from Damazin who saved us. When he recognized me, he told the soldiers that he knew us. That's why we crossed safely. It is through God's help to cross South Sudan. If you do not know anyone, you will remain there. Manjok says many women have left the husbands in Sudan and several men have opted to remain in Sudan due to fear. Voice of America could not independently verify the accounts narrated by individuals in this story. For VOA News, I am Amir Abramkwad in Malakal. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up... We bring you the latest in the Hamas-Israeli conflict. Stay tuned. If you are in Sudan witnessing events taking place there, or if you have family you are talking to there, you can call us on WhatsApp and let us know how things are going there. Dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. The number again, the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. A Palestinian pollster says the support for Hamas in the West Bank has risen rapidly since October 7 from 12% to 44% in December. In this report from the Amara. Amrai refugee camp in the Western Bank. Reporter Henry Wilkins speaks to Hamas supporters and experts about the steep rise. Posters of local teenager Hamad Jibril Ramana, who was killed by Israeli forces in September, can be seen on walls all over the Amari refugee camp in the West Bank. They began to appear after his death. Locals say Hamas printed the posters to gain support in the West Bank by showing sympathy for his death. He was a vocal supporter of Hamas and, according to the IDF, Israel Defence Forces, was shot throwing a Molotov cocktail 
Rahmana's father, Jibril Abdul Rahman Musa, says he was mourning the death of his son when Israeli forces raided his house and arrested his other son, Yahya, on December 13th. He says he heard knocking at the back door of the house and opened it, thinking it was his son. But it was an Israeli soldier pointing a gun at him and ordering him to step back. He told them he wouldn't move and wanted to see his son, so the Israeli soldier threatened to shoot him. Musa says he wasn't afraid, but the soldier then slapped him in the face and pushed him back inside. He says they took his son away and he hasn't heard from him since, with no explanation of why he was taken. Asked why he was arrested, IDF officials referred VOA to Israeli intelligence services who did not respond to requests for comment. Since October 7th, the Israel authorities say they have adopted a zero-tolerance approach to support for terrorism. Some have been arrested for social media posts showing sympathy with resistance groups. Expressing support for designated terrorist groups like Hamas can lead to detention without trial for Palestinians. But Musa says with his sons gone, he doesn't care anymore. He speaks openly of his support for groups resisting the Israeli occupation. Most here are less vocal, but support for Hamas has risen from 12% before October 7th to 42% in December, according to a poll by the Palestinian Centre for Policy and Survey Research, a think tank that often publishes polls showing diminishing support for the Palestinian Authority and has drawn criticism from the Palestinian leadership. Media representatives, analysts and residents in the West Bank told VOA they agree there has been a major leap in support. Lior Betzartel Sternfeld is a specialist on Israel, the Middle East and the Muslim world at Pennsylvania State University. The increase in support for Hamas uh, is mostly due to the, the fact that uh, for the first time in a while, there has been a um, change in the status quo. Many Palestinians say the PA, which was created in 1994 under the Oslo Accords and now administers much of the West Bank, has failed to bring about a solution to the conflict while becoming increasingly autocratic. The same poll says 90% in the West Bank now think its president, Mohammed Abbas, should resign. <laughs> Ashraf, a West Bank resident who declined to give his surname, tells VOA he is a supporter of the PA but says Palestinian leaders could be doing more. He says he and other Palestinians hope the war stops in Gaza and they can have re-elections to change the leadership. He says the Palestinian Authority has good people but, but he says they are not actively fighting the Israeli occupation. The polls suggest many now favour Hamas, whose founding documents once called for the destruction of Israel and its more militant approach to solving the conflict over the Palestinian Authority and its perceived inaction. The survey found that since October 7th, 70% of Palestinians polled in the West Bank say they now support armed struggle against Israel. <laughs> Iyad Baguthi is an activist and academic working with the Arab Network for Tolerance, an NGO in Ramallah. He says the violence by the Israelis is leading Palestinian people to think seriously about how to get rid of the Israeli occupation, which Baguthi says is impossible. Thus, he says, the violence leads many Palestinians to follow any movement that claims to resist the Israeli occupation, be it Hamas or others. Gunmen sent by Hamas, which the US and other countries consider a terrorist organization, killed more than 1,200 people when they attacked communities in Israel on October 7th, 
sparking the ongoing conflict. Henry Wilkins, VOA News, at the Amari refugee camp in the West Bank. America's allies in Europe are debating how to prepare for a possible second presidential term for Donald Trump. After he secured his record win at the Iowa Republican caucuses earlier this month, cementing his place as the current frontrunner to take on President Joe Biden in November's elections. Henry Ridgewell reports from London. Donald Trump's victory in the Republican Iowa caucus delivered a wake-up call to America's European allies. Questioned on the possibility of a Trump comeback Wednesday, French President Emmanuel Macron said he would pursue dialogue with whomever is elected in November. He partage nos valeurs. Macron said that the United States shares French values, but it's a democracy that is also going through a crisis whose top priority is its own interest, and secondly, the Chinese issue. As Europeans, we must be lucid about this, he said. That's also why I want a stronger Europe that can defend itself and not depend on others. Macron and Trump had a fractious relationship. On the Iowa campaign trail this month, the former US president appeared to mock the French leader's accent as he recalled discussions over trade tariffs. No, 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 you cannot do that, Donald. You cannot do that. It was a reminder of Trump's unconventional style. But Europe has bigger concerns than personality politics. With Russia's invasion of Ukraine descending into a bitter war of attrition, Kyiv urgently needs Western military aid. Trump has said he would seek an immediate peace deal between Ukraine and Russia. His Republican supporters in Congress are blocking about $50 billion of military assistance for Kyiv. NATO allies are worried that aid could dry up entirely. Fabrice Potier is a former head of policy planning at NATO. The US is, is paying a bit less than, than uh, half of, of that share, but the US has a very predominant, if not the lead role when it comes to the kind of strategic political questions on Ukraine. So losing the US in the sense of uh, having a US president who might be actually counter to Ukraine's interest and to Europe's uh, interest uh, will be a major blow. European Union Trade Commissioner Thierry Breton said this month that Trump declared in 2020 that the US would never help Europe if it came under attack and will leave NATO. Trump officials did not comment on Breton's claim. The former US president frequently demanded that America's NATO allies spend more on their own defence. Many Europeans appear to have taken that message seriously. Alexander Stubb is a Finnish lawmaker and front-runner in the country's upcoming presidential election. We need a more European NATO. I think the Americans will not leave us alone, but it's always useful. Uh, to be prepared the situation whereby we have to take more responsibility of our own defence. And I think the Americans are right on that. Europe is investing more in defence, including ramping up ammunition and weapons production for Ukraine. But replacing the central role the US has assumed on Ukraine under President Biden would take time, something Kyiv doesn't have. Henry Ridgewell, VOA News, London. 
And that's all we prepared for you this Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Don't forget to check out voafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with Emmanuel Kembe and the song Kuliom Korerat. We have been listening to Emmanuel Kembe with that song, which is a testimony of how some families are. I'm your host, John Tanz in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Ofori and Joy Jill, we wish you a nice weekend. I wish you a good time this evening. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. It's not...